Welcome to American Indian and Alaska Native Living, a program designed to educate and inspire listeners throughout Indian country. American Indian and Alaska Native Living is hosted by Dr. David DeRose, a board-certified specialist in both internal medicine and preventive medicine. Dr. DeRose has a wide range of experience with Native health issues, and he is here today to help you learn more about your health. Here is Dr. DeRose. Welcome to American Indian and Alaska Native Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. Today we're really focused on you, you, our listeners, you who have uh, engaged with us through our Timeless Healing Insights website. This is one of the sister websites for our main website, which is American Indian and Alaska Native Living, A-I-A-N-L dot O-R-G. But Timeless Healing Insights is a website that we've featured on the radio show that has been talking with you about our special 30-day lifestyle program. In the month of October 2022, many of you heard us again speaking about that program on air And you jumped on, you joined us for a 30-day lifestyle emphasis. If you've not done that and you're just hearing about it for the first time, the doors are not shut. That program is ongoing. You could jump on at any time and go through a free program that uh, I actually give you, individualized instruction. Uh, Yes, it's by video, Uh, but uh, about six minutes a day, short video presentations designed to help you, especially if you're dealing with diabetes or high blood pressure. As a result of so many people going through the program, we've been getting a lot of questions, more than I can individually answer. So today's show is being devoted to you, to the kind of questions you've been asking about your health, what you can do to improve things, and how you can make a difference in your own health. If you say, wow, I just wish I knew that I could have sent my questions in, you still can. We're hoping to do other programs like this in the future. Again, the website is Timeless Healing Insights. Org. Many browsers, you've got to put in that www in front. So the whole address would be www.timelesshealinginsightsplural.org. Well, with that background, we want to take your questions. I've got uh, two very special helpers today in the form of Beth Stevens and Natalia Richards. Ladies, it's great to have you with us uh, for the show today. It's good to be here. Thank you. So, Beth, I know you're uh, slated to get started with some of the questions. I know Natalia's got some others that we'll move to shortly, but what have you got on the list of things that people have been asking about? All right. So our first question today comes from one of our participants, and they, they are writing and asking you, I have degenerative disc disease and stenosis of the spine. I would like to know if there is any hope in being healed, and also, can a person grow or naturally repair a disc in the spine? Okay, so um, this is a a difficult and common situation. We see so many people in clinical practice with back problems. And uh, there's all kinds of things that can cause back problems. Of course, muscles, ligaments, uh, things that we call soft tissue issues. But you can also have problems with the bony structures as well as the discs that are the cushioning structures between the vertebrae. So the vertebrae are the bones of the back. One of the challenges that we're talking about here is something called spinal stenosis. And this is where things are encroaching or pushing on the spinal cord itself. The question always is, what is pushing on the spinal cord? The way the listener, viewer asked the question, it sounds like a disc is pushing on the spinal cord. 
If that's the case, there is some interesting work that's been done where it may be possible to move discs away from either the spinal cord itself or more commonly the nerves. So someone might say, well, I've got sciatica. That can be caused by a disc bulge, uh, bulging and pushing up against what we call the sciatic nerve, one of the nerves that leaves from the uh, lumbar uh, area spinal cord. So you say, well, what can we do for it? One of the best resources I've found is uh, books actually written by a fellow by the name of Robin McKenzie. Uh, McKenzie's a famous physical therapist uh, from Australia who uh, developed a technique for helping move um, bulging vertebrae away from nerves, away from the spinal cord. It has to do with a series of exercises. Many physical therapists do use the McKenzie approach. You can ask if you've been working with a physical therapist, but he has a book called Treat Your Own Back. Now, this does not mean that every, you know, every cause of, of spinal stenosis, I mean, if it's bony or something else, I mean, this is not going to work. But if there's a disc pushing on the spinal cord, he has a program that's designed to be quite safe. I mean, if you have any questions, I always say, you know, especially with a condition like spinal stenosis, you, you want to be working with a professional and talk with them. Say, you know, Dr. DeRose or whoever mentioned Robin McKenzie, his book, Treat Your Own Back. Could I give this a try? Are there concerns that you have? The doctor may say, hey, listen, you better not do X, Y, or Z. We've looked at your back, and you have severe osteoporosis, and these vertebrae are wedged. They've had uh, what we call compression fractures, and there's some unique things with your situation. You should not be doing this. So yes, it, it needs to be individualized. So for those, especially younger people with lower back problems, McKenzie's book is excellent. I've used it personally myself and found it helpful, but it's a great resource. So that is where I start with people often. Disc health, many um, professionals who focus on the back feel that one of the important things in disc health is adequate hydration. And optimizing circulation is huge as well when we talk about any orthopedic issue. And uh, many of our listeners know we've talked about the Methuselah Factor program on air before. We actually do have uh, a series of videos that go along with that. Uh, we have the free 30-day program online that uses those Methuselah Factor programs. For those of you just hearing about it for the first time, Methuselah Factor is our approach to improving blood fluidity, improving circulatory health. And um, that free 30-day program at TimelessHealingInsights.org if you sign up for that, every day you'll get an email for 30 days, and it'll walk you through the program. So um, those would be probably the things that would jump out at me, uh, Beth, some of the main things, you know, adequate hydration, uh, you know, get on a good uh, physical therapy, back exercise program, see if there's any uh, possibility of that helping as well. Outstanding. All right, so we have another individual who wrote in, and they're asking, since starting the program, I have begun to experience a problem with excessive gas. I have been eating more vegetables and beans two times per day as part of my meals. Any suggestions on how to reduce the amount of gas one may get with your program? Okay. So uh, it is true that the, uh, the gas-forming foods are the healthier foods. They're foods that tend to be high in fiber. And uh, fiber, as it gets down into the colon, is worked on by bacteria those uh, bacteria have a number of healthy side effects. Some of those uh, small molecules that are involved in the breakdown of fiber are very nourishing to the colon lining cells. They're cancer preventive. They're what we call prebiotics. 
that can help uh, set the stage for healthier bowel flora, the organisms that live in your bowel. So all kinds of benefits, but they do and they can have this undesirable uh, side effect of excess gas. And so what do you do for that? Well, let's first talk about the beans. This is one of the families of foods that gets a lot of the uh, publicity as far as uh, promoting that problem. We talk about three very important strategies for decreasing the gas-forming capacity of beans. And uh, we were reminded of this in our own home not all that long ago. Uh, my wife has one of these fancy uh, Instapots, you know, can cook beans up very quickly. We typically always soak the beans overnight. And uh, there wasn't time to do that. She figured, you know, I'll cook it extra long in the Instapot. But as it turns out, uh, we found by experience uh, in real time just recently that soaking of the beans overnight and then pouring off the water that they were soaked in makes a huge difference in decreasing the gas-forming uh, capacity of the beans. So, uh, so we say that's a huge thing. Soak the beans overnight, pour off the water, then cook them in fresh water. The other two things that we recommend doing is cook the beans very thoroughly. So if you're using canned beans, they are never cooked very thoroughly. The beans should basically fall apart if they're cooked thoroughly enough. That may mean cooking them for many hours in a, in a crock pot or, uh, you know, if you have some type of pressure cooker or Instapot, you know, you can do that in shorter order, but really cooking them very thoroughly. And if those two strategies are not sufficient in, in of themselves, then we recommend um, putting those beans into the freezer after they've been cooked. And uh, that also seems to decrease the gas-forming capacity of those beans. The other family that um, tends to be high in uh, gas-forming properties for some people are what we call the cruciferous vegetables. Those would be things like broccoli and cauliflower, kale. Uh, the solution there is also thorough cooking. You know, people say, but, you know, we thought we're not supposed to thoroughly cook our vegetables. With those vegetables, if you have problems with digestion, don't eat them raw. Don't have the raw cauliflower, the raw broccoli. If it doesn't bother you, great, okay? And I know a lot of people enjoy those raw, but other people, um, and actually I'm one of them, I do not do well with those uh, cruciferous vegetables raw. I can get away with raw kale, but um, it can be a problem for many people. So make sure you cook it uh, thoroughly. Will you destroy some vitamin C in the process? Yes, vitamin C is what we call heat labile. But um, if you can't tolerate it digestive-wise, you're not going to get any benefit from not eating it because it's bothering you. So uh, cook these things thoroughly, and that's a real important strategy. We're going to have Natalia ask the next question. Does Dr. DeRose have a suggestion for an over-the-counter melatonin, a good brand, and how much should I take on a nightly basis? Do I take it at bedtime or a couple of hours before bedtime? Okay, so a number of questions about melatonin. So thank you, Natalia, for asking that. Melatonin is uh, something that is widely used as a natural supplement to help with sleep. I would make several recommendations about melatonin. One of the things that we have recommended is you try to use natural strategies to try to boost your own melatonin production. I'm really uh, especially uh, grateful to Dr. Neil Medley for first calling my attention to this in his book, Proof Positive. Uh, devoted a whole chapter to that. We uh, crystallized some of those things in our 30-day program. So the free 30-day lifestyle program, if you're going through it, if you haven't gone through it to the end, we introduce melatonin fairly late in the 30-day program, but it is something that you can actually boost your own 
production with through a healthy lifestyle program. Having said that, if you're taking a supplement, what do we recommend? Um, in our book, 30 Days to Natural Blood Pressure Control, we talked about melatonin having blood pressure lowering effects. But the interesting thing is it only helps to lower your blood pressure if it is a controlled release, you know, a slow-release melatonin. So we do recommend, if you're taking melatonin preparation, it is of that slow-release kind and not a uh, one-shot deal. Uh, We generally do recommend you take it around bedtime. And a typical starting dose for melatonin is actually quite low, just in the range of 2 milligrams. So we're not talking about a huge amount of melatonin, but um, that's usually where we'll start. We'll also start with sleep hygiene principles, and uh, we cover those in our book as well. So feel free to either pick up the book, 30 Days to Natural Blood Pressure Control, or go through the free program, TimelessHealingInsights.org. Just sign up for that 30-day program, and that'll give you a number of tips about sleep and melatonin as well. So Natalia, what else do we have from one of our members? I am not a diabetic right now. Diabetes runs in my family, and I'd like to know if you suggest measuring blood sugars daily, even if you're not a diabetic. Okay. This is a really excellent question because diabetes is really an epidemic, and so is pre-diabetes. So many people who do not have diabetes still um, should be paying attention to their blood sugars. We want to speak about this in detail, but uh, we do have to step away briefly. For those of you just joining us, we're taking your questions, things you have sent in through our TimelessHealingInsights.org website. Is one of the sister websites, if you will, of American Indian and Alaska Native Living. And I say a sister website. It's a website that I've been working with, actually sharing content, especially content that was originally developed for a Native American audience. So uh, actually the founder of American Indian and Alaska Native Living was talking with me uh, some years ago about my book on high blood pressure. And uh, we were talking about how we can get this information to more people out in Indian country That led to the development of 30 roughly six-minute free videos that we've been making uh, available on YouTube. We've now automated that all. So if you go to TimelessHealingInsights.org, you can sign up for this program. It's especially designed for diabetes and high blood pressure. We expanded it to diabetes as well, but the principles can help anyone. So that program available at TimelessHealingInsights.org. You can also send in questions there. That's what we're tackling in this program. And we'll take that question about blood sugar right after these important messages. Today's broadcast has been pre-recorded. However, if you have questions about today's show or would like further information, please reach out to us on the web at A-I-A-N-L dot O-R-G. That stands for American Indian Alaska Native Living. Again, A-I-A-N-L dot org. Or you can call us at 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. We'll be right back after this. We are strong, we are resilient, and we will get through this together. But these are stressful times, and it's important to also practice good self-care. It's normal to feel overwhelmed, anxious, or afraid. But there is hope. Reach out to someone. Connect with your friends. Stay in touch with your community. And know that you are not alone. Learn more at wearebroadcasters.com slash hope. Furnished by the National Association of Broadcasters and this station. When Jim died, I wondered if I would be able to keep the farm. 
Then I heard about the USDA's loan program for socially disadvantaged farmers and ranchers. It's for women and minorities who may be having trouble getting credit. Once I was approved, the USDA's Farm Service Agency helped me get the credit I needed. Now I don't have to sell, and I can pass the farm down to my kids the way Jim's dad passed it down to him. I know he'd like that. Contact your local USDA Service Center or visit www.fsa.usda.gov. Social Security is with you through life's journey from birth to retirement. As your life changes year to year, so do your needs. For over 80 years, Social Security has helped to meet your needs and is committed to improving access to the services that make a difference in your life. Today, you can verify your earnings, estimate your future benefits, apply for retirement, manage your benefits, and even change your address all from the comfort of your home. Social Security's online services help put you in control with secure access to your information anytime, anywhere, allowing you to spend more time with family, friends, or simply just enjoying the day. Social Security, securing today and tomorrow. See what you can do online at socialsecurity.gov. Produced at U.S. taxpayer expense. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian and Alaskan Native Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. Welcome back to American Indian and Alaskan Native Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. Today we're taking your questions, questions that were sent through the Timeless Healing Insights website. It's a website we featured on the show before because uh, we've been talking about a 30-day free lifestyle program. Some of you have joined us for that program. Others of you are hearing about it for the first time. And if you're looking for a lifestyle boost, uh, absolutely free, totally automated, you sign up, nobody's going to get on the phone and call you. And basically every day uh, through your email, you get a link to a video that averages just under six minutes long. I am the presenter walking you through simple lifestyle principles. Even after going through that program or while going through that program, people have questions. And of course, we can't answer every single question that comes to us, but we've been compiling a number of them and are answering them on today's show. If you want to be part of a future show where we answer questions like this, just uh, contact us through Timeless Healing Insights. Org. Natalia, you had asked a question prior to us uh, slipping out to the break about uh, a person checking their blood sugar if they have either pre-diabetes or just risk factors for it, maybe running in the family. This is so important, and uh, let's just talk about it for a few minutes. So first of all, the point I would make is we're talking about millions upon millions of people in the United States alone who have either diabetes or pre-diabetes. And sometimes people say, well, you know, what's the difference? If we're just talking about fasting blood sugars, you know, the blood sugar that you have when you first wake up in the morning, it's got to be over 125 before we give you the label of diabetes. If the blood sugar is between 100 and 125, we call it pre-diabetes. So if you get up every morning, your blood sugar is 105, 110, 115, you are in the pre-diabetes range. Now, a lot of people say, well, hey, listen, I don't have diabetes. Why should I be concerned? No, Natalia, great question that came through. You should be very concerned 
The data suggests that more than 10% of people each year who have prediabetes will progress to full-blown diabetes. So you need to be watching your sugars. If no other reason, make sure you don't progress to full-blown diabetes. But the question and the concern is far deeper than that. And the reason why is just having pre-diabetic range elevations of blood sugar is also increasing your risk of things like heart attack and stroke. I've also seen people with diabetic complications who don't meet the criteria for diabetes. You say, what? That's right. Someone can have pre-diabetes and can already be doing damage, say, to the nerves in their feet. They're getting diabetic neuropathy even though they don't meet the criteria for diabetes. So here's the important message. The important message is if you're not on medicines for diabetes, and we can talk about that situation a little bit later perhaps, but if you're not on medicines, you don't have a diagnosis of diabetes, so you're not taking any pills at this point, maybe you're taking metformin as a preventive. Some people will give that to try to prevent um, pre-diabetes from progressing to full-blown type 2 diabetes. But let's say you're on metformin or you're on nothing, you can safely, okay, in general, make lifestyle changes that can be very powerful. And I say in general because I'm going to tell you, those lifestyle changes include physical activity. And uh, when I say in general, yes, of course, if you're having chest pain when you exercise, you have other concerns about your health and the, the risks, the dangers of exercise, I mean, of course, talk with your healthcare provider. But uh, we're talking physical activity and modest weight loss. I mean, relatively small amounts of weight loss. We're talking maybe as little as 5% of your body weight. So if you weigh 200 pounds, we're just talking about losing 10 pounds. That can make a huge difference in whether you progress on to diabetes or not. And uh, the other thing that's really important are dietary choices. And this comes back to the question Natalia asked about checking blood sugar. You'll find, if you go through our 30-day program, that uh, very early on, day number two, the, the title for that day is Measure, Measure, Measure. We encourage people to be measuring things as they go through that 30-day program. If you have prediabetes or diabetes or diabetic concerns, I encourage you, as you're making any kind of lifestyle change, especially check your blood sugars for a while before meals and then two hours after the meal. You will gain some amazing insights. If your blood sugar goes up more than 40, 50, I mean, at most 60 points, then you should be saying, well, that meal is not the best for me. I need to add something like beans or more soluble fiber. Maybe you're going to add some oat bran to your cereal. Uh, Maybe you're going to switch out the watermelon for apples. Apples are a higher fiber uh, fruit that has soluble fiber. So doing these things can help you keep your blood sugar under control, help you maximize your benefits, whether you're concerns are with diabetes or high blood pressure, because high blood pressure also has relationships to insulin and insulin resistance and uh, some of these metabolic things going on in the body. So thank you so much for passing along that question, Natalia. You're welcome. Okay, Dr. Jarose, the next one is concerning supplements. This um, individual is asking, when is the best time to take daily supplements? Should they take them all at once or should they be spaced out throughout the day? Okay. Well, I mean, supplements is definitely a mixed bag. I mean, there's certain supplements that uh, you only need once a day, maybe once a week. There's even some supplements we give once a month. Uh, In particular, that supplement that we sometimes do a very high dosage of once a month is vitamin D. So we have vitamin D3 preparations today that uh, can be dosed monthly or weekly. They may have as many as uh, 50,000 international units in a pill. And uh, 
when we're usually having people shoot for the range of two, in my experience, two to 5,000 international units a day, that's what I'm finding. Most people who are deficient in vitamin D need to keep their levels up. Uh, if your vitamin D levels are great and you say, hey, I'm just out in the sunshine a lot, great. I mean, you're fortunate. You're living probably in a part of the country where you get uh, adequate sun and at a sufficient elevation from the horizon throughout the year where you can do that. Um, let me just, uh, as we're talking about supplements, doses, when to take them, I know we're getting a little afield of the question, but I do want to tell you about vitamin D. Those of you that live in the northern half of the country, say above the uh, Tennessee-Georgia line or central California, north of there, uh, you're going to uh, want to be taking a vitamin D supplement during the winter months. And usually, like I said, it's in the range of 2,000 to 5,000 international units a day. If you're in a, a more southern area, let's say you're uh, on the Gila River Indian Reservation right now listening in, or you're uh, a native person living in an urban area in Florida, uh, you guys are great, okay? If you're getting out in the sun, getting plenty of sunshine. Now, the catch is, uh, if you're native, you have darker pigment in your skin than someone who would be, say, from uh, northern Europe. Uh, that's a blessing, that darker pigment. It, it protects you from sun damage and from skin cancer and other things, but it does make it a bit harder to make the vitamin D. So if you have any question, have your vitamin D level checked. There's a special blood test called 25-hydroxyvitamin D. I'm using this as an example of the variety of supplements and how taking them can make a difference. With vitamin D, it is a fat-soluble vitamin. We do recommend, even if you take it as a single monthly dose, that you take it with food, with fatty food. So maybe you're going to chew up some nuts and take it with those nuts uh, because uh, fat-soluble vitamins, it may be in an oil matrix or something, but we generally recommend taking with uh, fatty foods. You say, what about a magnesium supplement? I have a lot of patients that we have using magnesium. Magnesium has natural blood pressure-lowering properties, it has muscle relaxant properties. It actually uh, has been shown in research higher magnesium intakes associated with less risk of diabetes. Uh, it helps to stabilize the heart rhythm. But magnesium, we tend to dose multiple times throughout the day, at least twice a day. We'll divide it up. We're trying to keep the magnesium levels more uh, stable in the blood, especially if we have like questions with heart rhythm. And uh, a lot of people say, well, it's a mineral, and you could probably just take it once a day. I prefer to have my patients taking at least twice a day. So let's say we're giving them 400 milligrams of magnesium oxide. I have them take it with meals. That's my rule for most supplements, unless there's some compelling reason not to. Some people say, but wait, this particular supplement will not be uh, absorbed as well with food. Well, here's the deal. We're looking, as a clinician, I am, I'm looking at the end point. So if someone says, well, you know, the magnesium isn't absorbed as well if you take it with a meal and on an empty stomach. Here's the thing. If I'm titrating, if I'm dosing the magnesium to try to keep your heart rhythm stable, if your heart rhythm stable with 400 milligrams of magnesium oxide twice a day with meals, you're good, okay? If that's our endpoint. If we're looking at something else, at blood pressure or other things, we may want to use some other measurement. So general rules of thumb, most supplements I'm recommending people take with meals. Some can be taken as a single daily dosage. Others, you're going to do better to divide them up between the meals. If you're eating twice a day or three times a day, you can spread them out. All right. So the next question that we have is, I've been told the cold weather will make my arthritis in my hands and joints much worse. Is there any way to manage this better in the cold weather? It is true. The cold weather does usually aggravate joint symptoms. 
And uh, I do want to talk in some detail about healthy joints and about what to do in the winter months. And uh, we are going to have to postpone that till our next segment, not our next show. We do have a, a few uh, important messages that are coming up uh, here momentarily. Before we step away, let me just remind you, if you're saying, boy, I just wish I knew that this was going to happen on today's show so that I could have been involved, feel free to reach out to us. If you go to TimelessHealingInsights.org, that is the website that you need to uh, use if you want to sign up for our 30-day program or if you want to send us questions that we can answer on future shows. So again, some of you need to put that www into your browser, www.timelesshealinginsights.org. You can join uh, the discussion, at least future dialogues. When we come back, we're going to be talking about arthritis, especially about cold weather, some of the considerations that you want to uh, keep in focus. That's all coming up right after this. American Indian and Alaska Native Living will continue in a moment. If you have questions or comments about today's pre-recorded broadcast, please contact us on the web at AIANL.org or call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. A message from the National Police Association. It used to be that any able-bodied person would offer to assist a police officer in danger. Now, passers-by are more likely to take a video. There's a better use for your phone when an officer's in trouble. Call 911. Tell the operator where you are and what you see. Then, start your video to provide evidence later. To learn more about how you can assist law enforcement, visit nationalpolice.org. That's nationalpolice.org. Using meth taught me everything about freedom, only not like you think. It taught me how easy it is to lose your freedom. If you think meth is taking control of you, ask for help. You have the power to be truly free. I know. I'm Jan, and I'm free from meth. If you or someone you know is struggling with meth, call 1-800-662-HELP for 24-hour free and confidential treatment referral. Learn more at samhsa.gov meth. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian and Alaskan Native Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. Welcome back to American Indian and Alaskan Native Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. We're so glad that you're back with us for the second half of today's edition of the broadcast. We've been speaking about some really important topics. I know they're important because you've been asking the questions. We're taking questions that have come in through the www.timelesshealinginsights.org website. And uh, we're especially speaking now about arthritis and cold weather. And of course, um, if you're an arthritis sufferer, you may be saying, why does my arthritis flares so much in the winter months. We want to talk a bit about that. So in general, arthritis for most people is affected by cold weather. Sometimes there's other things going on with the uh, the joints when it's colder out. Let's talk, uh, for example, about hand problems. So there's a significant percentage of people who have arthritis in the hands. So they have joint problems in their hands, but they may also 
have problems with Raynaud's. So Raynaud's is a condition where, especially with cold exposure, there are changes in the circulation to the hands. The blood vessels can actually constrict. They can clamp down. And as a result, uh, this can cause pain in the hands. So um, what do we recommend? Whether you have even a mild Raynaud's component or whether you just have arthritis and the cold weather aggravates the joints. One of the first lines of defense uh, that we have is improving blood fluidity, improving the health of your circulation. A lot of people, when they hear that, they're thinking, well, what does that mean? They're thinking cholesterol. Maybe they're thinking uh, blood pressure. Yeah, those things have a bearing on circulatory health. But some years ago, we uh, started working with a concept uh, for lay people that is known in scientific circles as hemorrheology. It is the science of blood fluidity. And uh, I encapsulated that in a book a few years ago called The Methuselah Factor. So the Methuselah Factor was my approach to make this complex science of hemorrheology simple. And we developed a 30-day program to help people improve their blood fluidity. That's found in the book The Methuselah Factor. If you want to pick up a copy of that book, I mean, sure, it's a great book. I'm going to endorse my own book, but I you know, was thankful with how that book uh, came together. But you don't need to buy the book to get the essentials of the program. Of course, there's more in the book than we are able to put together in a free, efficient video series. But this video series that we've been talking about on today's uh, show, as well as on previous episodes, is designed to walk you through the key principles of the Methuselah Factor program, designed to help you improve your blood fluidity. But uh, we, in the free videos, we especially target diabetes and high blood pressure, and you can go through that program. Now, why I'm telling you about it right now in the context of arthritis is one of the most um, memorable stories in that book, The Methuselah Factor, was a story that was told to me from an orthopedic surgeon, Dr. Edgar Wiemeister. Dr. Wiemeister shared with me the story of someone who had poor circulation to their hip. They had come to the uh, orthopedic surgeons because they felt they needed a hip replacement. And uh, in fact, you know, all the objective testing said, yes, you have grounds for hip replacement, and plans were being made to replace that patient's hip. While he was uh, actually in the hospital, getting ready to uh, have the hip surgery, undergoing anesthesia, he actually had a heart attack. And uh, they had to cancel the hip surgery, postpone it. And uh, he, instead of being a patient in the hospital recovering from hip surgery, he was a patient in the hospital recovering from a heart attack. This gentleman got very motivated to change his lifestyle, and he got on a program that was designed to improve his blood fluidity. Uh, Well, let's put it this way. It was a program that we would expect to improve his blood fluidity, whether it was designed to do that or not. He was especially focused on his heart health. So he gets on this program, and after six months, you know, he's passed all the acute worries from the heart attack, and he happens to be in with the orthopedic surgeon who tells him, and it was not Dr. Wiemeister. Dr. Wiemeister had, uh, I don't know if he heard the story from the patient or from the surgeon himself, but the surgeon said, hey, we're... um, we're ready to do that surgery now. You know, everything looks good. We can proceed. And uh, the patient said, well, I don't think I need the surgery. My hip isn't bothering me. 
And the point that Dr. Wiemeister was making when he told that story is that many of the patients that he sees as an orthopedic surgeon with joint problems, he believes that if we can improve their circulation, those joint problems will decrease. Now, here's the interesting thing about cold weather. During the cold weather months, if you actually look at research, our blood tends to become thicker in the cold weather months. Does it have to do with people drinking less water, being less well hydrated? You know, it could be a variety of things, but that's what we find. And so you want to make a special point during the winter months, keep well hydrated, try to do the lifestyle factors like we introduced in our 30-day program or the Methuselah Factor book, um, because these things can actually improve your joint health. A final point, especially when it comes to smaller joints like the joints in your hands or feet, and that is dress warmly. Dress warmly. Yes, cold will often tend to make joints stiffer, even if you have no arthritis. If any of you have ever you know, been in really cold weather, I mean, I've lived in Minnesota and, and Maine and uh, you know, Michigan. It can get pretty cold in some of those places. Uh, just for the record, I don't know of any place there's been no place that I've been that gets colder than the Northern Plains. So those of you in the Dakotas or Minnesota, we can relate. But my point is, you can be perfectly fine your joints, and your hands get really cold, and your joints are stiff. They're harder to move. So keep really warm. Uh, some people, if they are prone to arthritic uh, complaints or or the Raynaud's that we talked about, they'll buy some of these little warming packs. You can put them in your mittens or your gloves. And, of course, mittens will keep your hands generally warmer than gloves just because of the construction of the uh, the mitten. So those are some pointers for you if you have concerns about your joints, especially in the cold weather. We're going to segue to uh, Natalia. Natalia, I think you've got the next question. Is that correct? Do you have any suggestions for meal planning and prepping while you're doing your program? Okay, excellent question. So someone's on the 30-day program. They're talking about what do we do for meal prep? Uh, what about meal planning? Yeah, and so a lot of times people have said, well, this is a program, but you don't give us all the recipes we need, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, we do have um, a experienced cook and uh, actually vegetarian nutrition teacher done, has done many community programs during her lifespan. She's shared with us a number of her recipes that you will get uh, access to once a week. There's some recipes that you can incorporate into the program. But uh, what I recommend during the 30-day program is do something that's quick and efficient. So, uh, you know, put your energy into learning the principles, putting them into practice, and don't get on a real ambitious thing. Well, I'm going to do this three-hour recipe every day and start cooking these new things. Well, I'm all for that. But we're trying to encourage you to put a lot of attention into the specific lifestyle factors. As you go through the program, we'll find that there's some pretty simple elements of the program that can actually save you on cooking. We have a fasting component in the program, for example. Uh, some people can use uh, juicing as part of the program. Be careful about juicing, especially the fruit juices and the vegetable juices that are made from root vegetables like carrot and beet because they can give you a lot of calories and can actually contribute to weight gain if you're not careful. But uh, bottom line, don't try to do anything too ambitious. Make simple choices. Use a crock pot. Bake things in the oven. Emphasize a lot of fresh produce. Uh, eating the, the whole fresh produce, fresh fruits, fresh vegetables, uh, making big salads. All of these things can go a long way and don't take a huge amount of prep time. Beth, do you have another uh, question for us? 
I do. So one of our members is asking, stating there's a substantial cost difference in organic foods and foods which are not organic. Do you have a list which would provide information which foods should be purchased organically? Okay, great question. This is really an excellent one. So um, one of the lists that a lot of people like to use in answering this question is a list of the Dirty Dozen. You can actually uh, just uh, put that online, Dirty Dozen uh, Produce Foods, and uh, you should uh, find a list of some of the things that tend to be more heavily contaminated with pesticides. Here's the main point. If you look at the size of the fruit or vegetable in relation to the surface area of the fruit or vegetable, and then ask the question, what are you doing with the peeling? That will help answer a lot of the questions. So for example, grapes, a lot of surface area to volume. So they're going to be at higher risk for significant contamination with pesticides, for example. On the other hand, take something like a watermelon. It's going to have a much lower surface-to-volume ratio, and you're not eating the rind of the watermelon. At least most people aren't. So it's going to tend to be a better choice. Now, of course, there's other factors that can enter in depending on what things are being used, where it's being grown, etc. But that's a simple rule of thumb. So anything that has a larger fruit or vegetable that has uh, a large uh, surface area, especially if you're not eating the peeling, those are going to generally be your safer choices. Uh, Leaf vegetables, they will be higher risk. And we always recommend with leaf vegetables, not just for the pesticides, but that you really wash the leaves thoroughly. In our book, uh, The Methuselah Factor, we share the sad story of a young man by the name of Sam Ballard. Uh, Anyone who read the book, likely remembers his story. He was challenged by his friends to eat a garden slug. He ended up uh, getting a brain infection with something called rat lungworm and uh, left him in a coma and then paraplegic. You say, what does that have to do with fresh produce? Um, There is a a small possibility of uh, snails actually uh, contaminating leafy vegetables with this uh, organism that causes rat lungworm. So whether we're talking about bacterial contamination or protozoal uh, agents, any kind of infectious agents, as well as pesticides, thoroughly wash vegetable produce. And by the way, that's going to be true for organic as well because you can have insects and snails and other things that are on those uh, leaf vegetables, and you still want to wash them even though they're organic. Uh, Dr. Sonia DeRose mentioned doing a contrast treatment for three to five times a week. Could you explain what that means and what is the process for doing it? Okay, contrast treatments are really important treatments in our hydrotherapy regimen, water treatments. And uh, this is another question I want to take a little bit of time with. So we are going to need to step away one more time for our final break in today's program. You're listening to American Indian and Alaska Native Living. Our regular website is AIANL.org. That's where you can find all the archives of our shows. You can find our magazine, American Indian and Alaska Native Living Magazine. But we've been talking today about a, a website, a sister website, partner website of American Indian and Alaska Native Living. It's called Timeless Healing Insights. And it is there where we host a free 30 day lifestyle program. You can jump on it anytime. 
We're taking questions that have come in through that portal, through that website. So if you're wanting to ask questions that will be addressed at future programs, www.timelesshealinginsights.org. That's where you should go. We're going to be back with uh, this question, important question about hydrotherapy, and with more of your questions right after these important messages. Don't go away. Today's broadcast has been pre-recorded. However, if you have questions about today's show or would like further information, please call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. We'll be right back after this. If a natural disaster comes knocking, how prepared is your family? You can't just close the door on earthquakes, floods, or hurricanes and hope they go away. That's why it's important to make a plan now. Ready.gov plan has the tools and tips you need to prepare your family for an emergency. So if disaster shows up at your doorstep, you'll be ready. Visit ready.gov plan and make a plan today. Brought to you by FEMA and the Ad Council. I'm just texting him back. I'm just posting a story. I'm just changing the song. I'm just... No. When it comes to distracted driving, just don't. Sending a text takes your eyes off the road for just five seconds, but in that time, your car can travel the length of an entire football field. Any distracted driving just isn't worth it. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A message brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, Project Yellow Light, and the Ad Council. What is a number story? My number story started with fear and a lack of support, and it has led me to be there for others. A number story begins in our childhood with ACEs, adverse childhood experiences. My number story begins with the separation from my father and the emotional abandonment from my mother and leads to me being a role model to not only myself, but those around me by becoming the person that wasn't there for me. ACEs are so common, two-thirds of us have one. My number story begins with drug abuse and homelessness and leads to realizing that I can live life by my own standards. A study found the more ACEs, the more likely we may experience a host of serious health effects, physical and mental, but that doesn't need to be the case. Your ACE number is simply an entry point to your own story. Where it leads is up to you. My number story begins with years of emotional abuse and leads to peace, clarity, and security in my self-worth. Take control of where your number story leads at numberstory.org. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian and Alaskan Native Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. Welcome back to our final segment of American Indian and Alaska Native Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. We are speaking about you and your questions. Beth Stevens and Natalia Richards have been with us for today's show, asking questions that you have sent through the TimelessHealingInsights.org website. Before we stepped away, Natalia had asked a question that one of you had sent in, referring to something that my wife, Dr. Sonia DeRose, had shared during the course of one of our 30-day lifestyle program videos. Sonia spoke about something called contrast hydrotherapy. And let me explain the concept for you. So the idea is many times you go and see a doctor, maybe you had an injury, maybe it's a back problem or strained your wrist. And 
I've had patients over the years that say, you doctors are so confused. I mean, one doctor said, you know, put heat on it. The other doctor said, put ice. You know, which is it? Well, there's benefits to both, especially when you have chronic pain. Heat tends to relax muscles. So if you have muscle spasm, heat is very good for muscle spasm. The problem with heat, though, is it increases inflammation. So just think about it. Heat warms up that area, opens up the blood vessels, you get more circulation, and it can worsen inflammation. Heat also uh, can worsen pain. It can worsen itching. So often we'll be using a heating component if we think there's a component of muscle spasm. But even when we do that, interspersing the heat with cold. So one of the the typical approaches, let's say for uh, an intermediate uh, or subacute, we would say, injury. So let's say you sprained your ankle three weeks ago. Initially, we almost always want to use just cold because inflammation is the real worry that we have. So you're elevating the extremity. You're putting ice on it. You may be wrapping it with an ice wrap. All of these things are designed to keep the swelling down. You say, okay, well, it's been three weeks. My ankle's still bothering me. We may then move to trying some contrast treatments. And the typical approach is three minutes of warm water and then 30 seconds of cool. We also use this, and I've used it in many patients, my colleagues and I, and I'm sure hundreds of patients, with diabetic neuropathy. These are nerve problems from diabetes. If you have any sensory impairment, like with diabetic neuropathy, you want a thermometer. You never want to put the, let's say, your feet in water above 104 degrees. So 104 is the absolute maximum. That's 40 degrees Celsius or centigrade. Same temperature as 104 Fahrenheit. And you keep your, let's say in this case, your feet in the water for three minutes. Then you put them in cool water for 30 seconds. If you're more robust, you don't have health problems, you don't mind a a real cold stress, you might even put it in ice water for 30 seconds. Then back into the warm water for three minutes. So cycles of three minutes hot, 30 seconds cold. We typically have people do five cycles, and uh, we might have people do it up to twice per day. So that is what the hydrotherapy contrast treatment looks like, used for a variety of things, from injuries to diabetic nerve problems to uh, infectious issues, uh, very good for infectious issues. That warm water brings a fresh supply of red and, and white blood cells especially, and then when you put that cold water on, it constricts those blood vessels, flushes away what those uh, white blood cells theoretically have picked up, and then put that heat back on and brings a fresh blood supply. Probably a whole lot more complicated than that as far as the real physiology, but if that helps you remember it, great. Beth, I understand uh, you've got another question for us. We do, concerning diabetes. This individual says, I have type 2 diabetes. Recently, I had heard they are now saying there is a new type of diabetes called diabetes type 3. I understand it to be severely advanced diabetes, which causes dementia, and they have now indicated it may be linked to Alzheimer's patients. They are saying it can cause brain bleeds and causes inflammation in the body. Do you know anything about this? This is a really important topic, Beth. There is a really, really interesting research on connections between this whole continuum between what we call insulin resistance and brain health. So type 3 diabetes is a term that's being used by some people to speak about the brain ravages of diabetes, if you will, and often especially making the connection with Alzheimer's disease. 
Years ago, researchers at uh, what was then uh, referred to as Mount Sinai School of Medicine in New York City were looking at Alzheimer's disease, and they made a connection with a greater than fourfold risk of developing uh, dementia in general, as I recall the conclusions were, when you have both diabetes and obesity. And some people say, well, why would diabetes, why would high blood sugars have any role in affecting brain health? Well, there's a number of reasons why there's connections. For example, we know that both low blood sugar and high blood sugar is uh, damaging to the brain. So running those high blood sugars is not good for any nervous tissue. You know, you've heard about diabetic neuropathy. We just talked about it a little bit, how it can cause problems with pain, numbness, tingling, burning sensations. Uh, Some people say it feels like I'm walking on pebbles. Other people, it can be very painful. It can keep them awake at night. It can interfere with their job. So these are things that can happen when the nerves are being exposed to higher blood sugar levels. A lot of the research tends to uh, suggest that some of these changes have to do with problems relating to the microcirculation. And again, this kind of brings us back to this whole Methuselah factor concept. So here's the first thing I would say, to make just completely plain. Yes, high blood sugars, insulin resistance, prediabetes, all of these things are risk factors for stroke and for dementia itself. And you want to try to control not only your blood sugars, but lower that insulin resistance. How do we do it? We do it by doing simple things like improving our dietary choices, losing weight, getting adequate exercise, avoiding things that cause your metabolism not to work as well as it should. And some of the common things are substances that we use. Tobacco is a deleterious as far as brain health and blood sugar control uh, and blood pressure control. The same is true, by the way, of caffeine. Caffeine is not our friend when it comes to uh, optimum circulation. So all of these things on that list, and by the way, we cover all of these, uh, at least touch on all of them, in the free 30-day program. So if uh, someone hasn't gone through that program and you're concerned about the ravages of diabetes, uh, really an excellent place to start, 30-day program at timelesshealinginsights.org. What about other questions, ladies? All right, we have another one. Is there a way to get rid of pulsatile tinnitus and what causes it? Okay, let's talk about this. So whether you call it tinnitus or tinnitus probably has to do with whether you... uh, We're trained on uh, one side of the Atlantic or the other. But um, this is a a ringing in the ears. And there's a number of things that contribute to uh, tinnitus or tinnitus. Probably the most common single thing that we see is actually noise exposure. And uh, my wife and I, Sonia, is also a physician, many of you know, just speaking about this the other day, and we see so many young people, uh, we all have this... uh, illusion when we're young, that we're invincible, that nothing's going to hurt us. But one of the things that does take a toll on our hearing is noise exposure. And that's true whether you're a construction worker and don't feel like you need hearing protection, whether you enjoy firearms as a hobby and you're out uh, target shooting, whether it is uh, the kind of music you like. So this takes a toll. And, And what we see is a huge number of people that we see who have this ringing in the ears. It is from hearing loss. Pulsatile tinnitus, if something is truly pulsatile, if it truly has this throbbing sensation, we're usually thinking of something vascular. And uh, when we think about that, we do have to think about serious uh, things. You know, is there some type of aneurysm? 
Uh, could it be some type of migraine variant? Migraines will typically cause uh, pulsating headaches. There is a type of um, tinnitus. It's sometimes described as roaring, more like a roaring noise. It goes along with something called Meniere's disease. So what I tell people is if you've got tinnitus, it hasn't been fully worked up, see a good ear, nose, and throat specialist. Uh, audiologists are also great people to work with that can help to, to say, hey, this looks like it's something happening in both ears, probably from noise exposure, which is usually symmetric because it's affecting uh, you know, both ears usually at the same time. Or they can say, no, this is something that looks really bad. Just one ear, this raises a concern that there could be some kind of um, you know, serious process. So uh, see someone, get it adequately diagnosed, and that will be the very best thing you can do as far as your long-term auditory health and overall health. Well, ladies, I really want to thank you. Uh, Beth Stevens, I know you um, work, I want to say tirelessly on the website, but I know you have many more activities than just uh, working with the Timeless Healing Insights website. So I know you're a very hard worker. You've got a lot of things going on in your life. We thank you so much for being uh, one of the folks that uh, people do connect with when they reach out through TimelessHealingInsights.org. Natalia Richards, thank you so much for being part of that team. I will be honest with you. If you've been trying to communicate with us through the website, we have an incredible amount going on. If you go to that www.timelesshealinginsights.org website, you'll see that we not only have an opportunity for you to connect with the radio show on that website, but we do a half an hour television program once a week and uh, just a lot of moving parts. So we appreciate those of you who have patience with us, send in questions and are willing to wait for video or audio programs we do answering your questions. So for all of us at American Indian and Alaska Native Living, I am Dr. David DeRose. We thank you for joining us on today's edition of the broadcast. And as always, I'm wishing you the very best of health. This is Life Talk Radio.